0: You're listening to The Touch of Flavor Podcast, episode 60. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating?
1: We can't do this 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box.
0: This is The Touch of Flavor Podcast. Dating and relationship advice by Kingsters for Kingsters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now, your hosts, Cassie
1: and Rigel. Hey, everybody. How you doing? So we've been doing a a lot of Q&A episodes lately. It's just worked out that way. Um, I don't think it's just worked out that way, though. I think it's mainly because I've been buried on the website thing. So we've had a lot of questions, and we've just been doing that rather than me, me pulling away from the website.
0: We did have quite a few influx of questions, though. So it kind of worked... Together
1: and we did a Valentine's Day question and answer that wound up being a podcast episode. So yeah, it, it hasn't it hasn't all been me not working. Speaking of which, the new website is done. It will be up by the time this episode goes out. Definitely, I'm I'm just I, I'm wrapping up a couple tiny little things right now, um, but I am so happy. It was so much work. Like you don't realize when you you go to redo a website. Like yeah, we've been putting up content for the last I don't know. Six years, and uh thinking I was gonna get that done in a week was probably not the best judgment I've ever had,
0: yeah, it was definitely not a week project N- and- well, it's
1: mid February, and I started in <laughs> December, so uh true. there's that Good news is we're gonna have you know more time to work on content, more so, which is what I like. That's the problem with with having like a small organization like this is you know, we do everything. So it's like when one thing picks up, the other stuff kind of gets...
0: Mushed down a little bit. A
1: little bit. But we have been putting out the episodes overall, so I'm happy about that. What else? What else? What else? What did we do for Valentine's Day? We didn't talk about that on the Valentine's Day episode. We
0: didn't because we recorded that on Valentine's Day, so nothing actually happened yet for us for valentine's day like we hadn't done our valentine's day things here at home yet what did we do so we got amanda flowers and that was a nightmare again i'm i'm done buying flowers for people
1: yeah you have not had success with that
0: i don't know what it is with flower delivery but they just like to ruin my holidays it did work out that she got flowers and whatnot. Uh, but and she's
1: going to get flowers again now. Yeah. So she'll have them by the time this episode goes out. Okay. So you can say
0: it. Yeah. So Amanda will be getting another bouquet of, of flowers delivered that are the correct flowers, which are super gay, beautiful roses that I got her.
1: Because Amanda got plain flowers and some other dude got gay flowers and was really unhappy that his wife got gay flowers.
0: Yeah. So when I called the customer service... The lady on the phone was like, Yes, we actually had a gentleman call in who was actually very upset who got the wrong order that was multicolored because he said that they were heterosexual flowers. And I was like, Yes. Homosexual flowers? Yes, that they were homosexual flowers. And I was like, Exactly. I wanted the homosexual flowers to go to Amanda. (laughs) Can you fix my order?
1: And the funny thing is, at this point, she's used to the flowers being wrong. She's like, something else is coming, isn't it? Something went wrong. It's like, yes, every year. No, but actually, on Valentine's Day, we got up. We had sex.
0: We had sex, yes.
1: We had sex. And then we worked. And then Amanda got flowers. And then what happened next?
0: When Amanda got home, we exchanged presents.
1: Oh, uh, we did. Yeah, it wasn't a super exciting Valentine's Day. We had thigh food. Yeah. Because. Everybody was like exhausted and hurting and it was like we can go out or we can just order Thai food and watch a movie
0: None of us was feeling particularly great. So we exchanged gifts and you got sap gloves
1: I did I'm so excited but you're putting it out on the podcast and some people who might have gotten surprised by those are now Not going to get surprised by this, but yes I got sap gloves which for people who don't know are gloves that have steel shot in the knuckles so they're weighted. So those, those are going to work really well with the way I play. I thought I was actually getting them for Christmas and it didn't work out and I'm glad now, but I haven't hit anybody with them yet. So yes.
0: And I got, you guys got me a gift certificate for a back rub.
1: Yes, we did. We which did. I'm
0: excited about.
1: And then we have, we're still trying to exchange presents with other
0: partners that we haven't gotten everything for.
1: Yeah, that Amazon has been slow this year. So yeah, Valentine's Day was good. And what else? What else before we hop into questions? There has been some news that's come out. So we're we're recording this on a Wednesday. And there's been some news that's come out within the last 24 hours, I think, uh, levying some, some accusations against somebody in the uh, who's kind of well known in the poly community and it's it's being called the, I've seen it being referred to as the poly community's me too I think we're gonna have a lot of opinions on it I already do but I think there's a lot more that's about to come out so I think we're gonna sit on that for maybe another week before we we talk about it because I get the, um, the impression anyways I hope that there's about to be like some victim statements and stuff like that to kind of fill in some of the gaps because what's been put out thus far has has left much to
0: question speculation. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's kind of been like he did stuff. You'll find out what stuff later.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm i I'm interested to see, you know, what what has happened and, you know, what's going on going forward.
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think we're definitely going to have some opinions. I just want to wait and hopefully inform them a little more before going into them here. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: anything else? We've been kicking ass at escape rooms.
1: We have. This is true.
0: One of our partners and us and our kiddo goes and does escape rooms pretty regularly. And uh, we've gone to a couple of escape rooms and it's uh, the four of us adults and the kiddo and we've been doing that and we've been having a pretty good streak. That's really been like the upside for like the last like couple of weeks for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So with that, you made a happy sandwich there, like happy Valentine's Day stuff, shitty stuff going on in the community. Good. I like that. That's what I was
0: trying to do. Yes. Yes. Happy, happy poly group activities to to smack that sandwich together.
1: With that, I think we're going to hop into the Q&A. As always, guys, if we mispronounce your names correctly, we apologize. Um, There's there's at least one in here that I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce. So our first question is from Callie, and it says, age 35, from a conservative small town in Missouri. Interesting fact, I lived in a conservative small town in Missouri for a little while. It's not something I talk about very much, but all right. It says, I'm a switch, and I'm pretty sure I'm poly. I just haven't had the opportunity to have a poly relationship yet. I've known for a while that I've had this question, but it wasn't until I began listening to your podcast that I felt better able to articulate it. This is all new territory for me, and I feel like my kink falls under the edge play category. And if it were ever possible to fulfill my minotaur fantasy, I would probably be as happy as when Cassie got to face fuck a mermaid. Hell yeah. I love it. That's that's our first episode, isn't it? Well, um, it's episode one.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: Sex with your ex and Cassie face fucks a mermaid. If you haven't heard the story yet... Go listen to it if you've been listening to this podcast, you've probably heard Cassie's continual
0: fascination with my mermaid and,
1: yeah and, and and stuff with her mermaid all right, anyways, so question one we kind of we kind of make a jump from the mermaid question here. What advice would you give someone new who wants to navigate more safely in both the kinky and poly lifestyle and has kinks that would tend to fall on the more extreme end of the spectrum
0: so the first thing I would say is. Whatever your more extreme and spectrum things that you're interested in, educate yourself. Like go to classes, maybe try things out with somebody who's had more experience in those areas before. When we talk more extreme, that usually means – more potential for accidents or things to go wrong. So it's good to educate yourself first. Even if you are planning to be the bottom in that situation, educating yourself on the situation so that way you know going into it how to negotiate things, what questions to ask your potential tops. And if you're the top in that situation, in reverse, knowing the questions that you should be asking your bottom also knowing how to implement things. So I think that would be like the first thing is if you're new to all this and this is all new territory, just because you have that fantasy of doing something that's more on the extreme level, doesn't necessarily mean that you are up to that level as far as your skill and knowledge to do so.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, it, it's a fairly broad question. Um, it would be a little more helpful, I think, to know which end you want to play on and what you're looking to do. Um, but as Cassie said, I mean, I think I think a couple things that I can I can apply to poly and kink and whatever you're doing in kink, and really in going to more extremes forms of kink, are educate yourself and make sure that you're out you're learning about the things you're interested in. Um part of that, and this goes along with it, is um it helps to get to be a part of your community in your area. Now, I recognize that being in a conservative small town of Missouri, this may not be possible. I don't know if you're perhaps a reasonable drive from someplace that is a little more active that you can go to. But the thing about it is, is that especially when you're inexperienced, it can be, it, it's one of those things where, you know, cockroaches like to hide in the dark kind of things. You know, if if there's somebody who has a reputation for being an unsafe player, you know that'll get around If there's somebody who has a reputation for being bad at poly, that you know a lot of times will get around a little bit and when you're out and you're you're you know involved in your community a little bit, you'll hear things that can be helpful to you like if if you're you know you're you're running into somebody and you know they're interested in this kind of play you can kind of ask around to people you know who you know have played with this person before or have seen them play and ask about them and you know and, and on that other note you know a lot of times people who are super unsafe or super you know have super bad reputations won't hang around the community because they know that the stories about them get around and it's harder for them to find people there so i think that's really helpful advice the other thing, a couple of things that I'll say, ease into whatever you're doing. And this goes for poly and most definitely kink, right? If you have, say, consensual non-consent fantasies, that isn't something you jump into your first scene. If, you know, you're a, interested in being a super heavy bottom, that's not something you jump into your first scene. Or so top. I was going to say, it's, it's also not something you jump into, certainly as a top, because, you know, you wind up hurting somebody. So definitely work into stuff. And that goes with relationships as well. So I think educate yourself, get involved work into stuff is perhaps the best general advice I can give. The last thing that I'll say here, you know, the first time you meet somebody, it's always good to do it in a public place and, you know, well, that's a coffee shop. And the first time you play with somebody or the first couple times, it's not a bad idea if you can get out and do that at a, a public event, if that's something you're open to, whether it's at somebody's house or at a venue, because, you know, if something does go wrong, You have other people there who, A, may have the experience to see something going wrong even when you aren't aware, but B, more importantly, if you have somebody and you're playing with and it turns out they aren't respecting your safe, where you have other people who can intervene. So I think that's a number of good steps there. Uh, The second part of this question says, is it considered disingenuous to downplay my experience in the lifestyle on my FetLife profile to help weed out some of the messages from, hey baby, wanna fuck, and I'll teach you real good creepers who just want to hit on everything that moves, provided I'm honest and open in my real life interactions. I know I'll get plenty of that. Still, I just don't want to advertise it to the orcs that I'm fresh meat. <laughs> I, I I love I love that last line. I'm I mean, I don't I don't see a problem with it. Do you? I mean, I wouldn't go so far like specifically like I've done this and I've done this and I've done that if you haven't, but uh I certainly don't think you need to advertise your inexperience on your profile either.
0: So one of the things that I've talked to folks about doing as far as their profiles on FetLife is things like this. Like, you don't have to get on there and be like, I am completely inexperienced. I know nothing. Here I am. But you can do things like where it asks you to link to the kinks that you're interested in. You can put, I'm interested in these things, right? Right. You can put a few things that you've done and just leave it at that. You don't have to actually make like a a statement of I'm very inexperienced. These are the only things that I've ever done. So maybe linking to more things that you're interested in and waiting until you're actually having more of a conversation with someone to talk about your inexperience.
1: Yeah. So I'd say I think downplaying is fine. Um, I, I I don't I wouldn't say Deceive on your profile and be like i've done this and i've done that and i've been seeing for six and a half years and I Really love getting fucked with a, a 24 inch dildo like but There's no reason to mention you're
0: Yeah, so there's like a big difference between flat out lying on your profile and Not necessarily like putting it right out front
1: All right, our next question is from tommy37 in dc I'm in a triad And I'm curious as to how you all handle voting and choices in your triad. Like if Cassie and Amanda wanted to go to Florida for vacation, but Rigel wanted to go to New York. Is it always a majority vote? Some things don't seem like they should be. This came up for us when we were trying to decide on selling one of our cars. I bought the car, but my wife drives it and has kept up on the maintenance. And, you know, if we get rid of that, then our partner owns the vehicle that my wife would be using. Um, we worked it out in a way that everybody was okay, but what if there's a strong disagreement or someone is more invested in something? Is it still a majority vote? Are there times when someone's vote counts more or less than the other twos in your relationship? I actually really like this question. <laughs> I figured you would. A lot. The answer is yes. There There are certainly times that people's votes count less on things. It's interesting, though, because... You know, when, when it's written this way, I feel like there's this thing of, there's this thing that's come to a head and, you know, like there's two people who want to do something and the other person's kind of getting overruled on it. And I don't feel like that's typically how it happens. So I feel like the thing is, I feel like in any situation, there's people who are more invested in that decision for the most part, right? So... Cassie and I own a home together. Amanda lives here, but Cassie and I own the home and pay the mortgage and are liable for the house and are liable for the mortgage and have the equity in the house and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, when it comes to what's happening with this house, Cassie and I have more say on that, but it's not a, it's not a thing of how long Amanda's been around, right? It's a factor of we're more invested in that particular thing like there's things that you and Amanda are involved in like the PTO for example that I have zero investment in and you guys make decisions on when you know because I'm I'm less invested in it so i guess i'll start by saying before i let you up in that i think there's very very few issues that everyone is equally invested in and i don't think it's something that's necessarily related to how long somebody's been around although i do think that plays into certain things But I I think that very rarely is everybody invested in a decision to the same level.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be determined a lot of the time by that specific person's investment in the thing. So you mentioned, Rigel, about the PTO, which for you guys, if you don't know what that is, that's the PTA for what now what they call, but for schools. So... Obviously, you know, you have the people who put the time and the energy into that or have had the history of something and they're going to have more feels about it versus the other person who isn't. And,
1: you know, I think it's an interesting question because this, you know, we talk a lot of times about how polyamory is like monogamy, right? Right just with more people. And I mean, you can ask the same question about a monogamous relationship. If you are you have a spouse and you guys have something that's important to both of you, let's say moving, right? A moving decision. And you guys are at disagreements on it. Well, how do you make that decision? Well, you have to sort it out. Um, you don't even have a tiebreaker there, right? And I, I think that that's the way that things wind up going in poly most of the time, which is most of the time you recognize... Who's more invested in the decision? And if you disagree, if somebody's way more invested, in something you just don't care about, right? So let's say it's it's a decision of-
0: Going out to dinner.
1: Going out to dinner. Then maybe if you don't care, you just, you just let your partner have it. Or maybe if it's something where they're way more invested, like I said, like something to do with the PTO, right? You just let them have it. And if it's more complicated, then you have to try and sort out an arrangement that works for everybody. I don't think I've ever been in a situation- that in any in, – in all the years that I've done poly where it's come down to we're all at a staunch disagreement. This really matters to all of us. We can't agree at all, but some of us are going to vote the other one and Out. vote against what they – yeah, what they want in this decision. I don't think that's a good way to approach it. I think you need to approach it the same way that you would in a monogamous relationship, which is, first off, can we find a situation that makes this workable for everybody, right? What would that look like? And if we can't, and if it's just something small that you don't care about, like maybe it's just time to let your partner have it. But I don't think that in our – or whether it's a a monogamous relationship or polyamorous relationship, that anybody's decision should necessarily just be like voted out and overruled.
0: Yeah. So by going by your car example, right – Maybe someone drives the car more, someone drives the car less. Maybe it was more of a a thing for you because you bought the car, right? But at the end of the day, it's more about the three of you coming together and finding a solution that works for everybody versus, well, it's my car. I bought it. To hell with someone's vote.
1: And I think that part of that too is recognizing when – you are not as invested in that decision, right? Like, because I've seen the situation before and like, I'm going to use this as an example for Amanda only because I'm not coming, coming to mind with some huge thing on the other end of this, but, um, you know, for her recognizing that Cassie and I bought this house and I've been paying for it for the last seven years. And that is going, you know, that, that, that decision of what to do with the house is more impactful on our end. Um, although it certainly is impactful on hers as well. And, obviously should have a say in anything, but but recognizing that position of where you're at with, with where you're invested on any particular thing, I think is important. And I think that's again important, whether you're polyamorous or monogamous, like the ability to recognize when this is way more important to the other person or they have a lot more invested in this particular point.
0: Yeah. Like going by your house example, if I had bought a house previously before getting married and then my now husband or wife moved into my house and lived there for a while, they would still have some say and input on it, but I might be more invested.
1: Yeah. This is a really interesting question. I really appreciate it because I don't think it's something I've ever really – it's one of those things we've just done. I've never sat down and really thought to. But I, I can safely say that I can't remember any time in, in all the years that I've done poly where an important decision, not like just a, where are we going to eat tonight or –
0: What movie we're watching. What movie
1: we're watching has has just been decided where some people have voted and overruled the other person in the relationship.
0: So, our next question is from Tanya. I try to conserve my energy now for things that are beneficial for me and schedule time together with my partner. But how do you handle someone complaining that it's not spontaneous because it needs to be scheduled?
1: Yes, yeah, so this is an interesting question. I think this is something that everybody runs into. At some point or another. Um, so I think there's kind of two sides to this, at least when I'm thinking about it, right? And the first side to me is that I don't think there's there's necessarily a right or a wrong thing here. I think this is just kind of it's how different people work and what works for different people. So I don't think necessarily they're wrong for wanting to be spontaneous and you're wrong for wanting to be scheduled. But what I will say on that end is I do feel like from a practical point of view, not a right or wrong point of view, but a practical point of view, that with how busy we all are and with trying to make a poly work in particular, that scheduling becomes really important.
0: Yeah. I think that first you got to look at, do we want to make time happen or do we want it to be spontaneous? Right? And the reason why I say that is because Spontaneous is all good, and I'm going to get into why you know having some spontaneous stuff is good. But most of the time when we're trying to be spontaneous, it doesn't happen. We tend to get caught up in other things. We end up doing the dishes, the laundry, or whatever, and then we don't actually end up doing it. Or we find out that our schedules don't line up, and it doesn't happen. So it's good to schedule things out and have a plan for time together. On the other hand, I think that it's always helpful to be flexible. You know, if you know that there's an extra thing that popped up here or there, considering your partner's time, considering your time, if you have the energy for it, isn't a bad thing. And that can feel really good. Like, oh, you took this extra time to be with me or spend time with me. But recognizing that it's more important to get that time in than for it to be spontaneous.
1: Yeah, I think that and also the realization can be helpful that recognizing, you know, like I said before, this isn't something where somebody's wrong. So it doesn't need to become a discussion of, well, you're wrong for this, you're wrong for that, I'm right, you don't love me because you're not spontaneous, or that kind of a thing. It just needs to become a conversation of, okay, we, we view time management differently, how can we make this work, right? And, and that's the way to be looking to have this discussion, I think. All right. Next question is from John. I'm considering ending a poly relationship in the future, and I'm also open, curious about a dom, sub, female-led relationship. But I have one major hurdle. I'm a complete virgin. Late in life, just turned 36. I'm definitely interested in experiencing love and relationships. Any advice or anything you would suggest? This is so much more in your ballpark than mine.
0: So first off, I think being a complete virgin – is not, isn't, isn't actually like a problem. I would answer this question. not as much of
1: one as you think. Yeah.
0: Like I would answer this, this question the same way for someone who said I was inexperienced, right? Like being a virgin versus having little experience isn't really much of a difference. And basically what I would suggest is getting out, start exploring things, do things slowly, Uh, When we answered the first question today, we talked about kind of integrating into things slowly. That's going to be something that you're going to want to do, especially with being a virgin. Also recognizing that with relationships, things like that, you may be a little more at risk to end up growing feelings very quickly, getting a little bit more attached than maybe you should. So making sure that you're doing these things slowly and really paying attention to your emotions, and how you're feeling along the way. Kind of do a little self-check. But start exploring and do it in a slower manner. Like try small things out bit by bit. And don't try to hop into all the things and doing all the things all at once.
1: Yeah, so this is this is interesting to me, actually. I'm curious, and you probably have more insight on this than me, because I'm I'm sure – not just because of the question, but just just thinking about this in general. I'm sure that John's probably really concerned that that virgin inexperienced sexually thing would make it really hard to find a partner. And I'm actually curious, when you're talking about a dom, how much of a deal do you actually think that is?
0: I think it could go either way. I think for some, that could be a lot of fun. Like, I consider... From a topping standpoint, when someone hasn't had certain experiences, hasn't done certain things, that's a fun playground because they haven't – I got to be their first. I got to be the first person to do the blank thing to the blank person. Um, So it can can be a lot of fun. Uh, For some, it might deter a few people only because they're like maybe because you don't have the experience – You don't have the experience to make good decisions about things or know how things operate. But I think it's a 50-50. I I don't think that this is like a – the majority of female-dominant folks would be like, no, I wouldn't be interested. I think there's a good portion that would find that amusing and fun.
1: Yeah. So what are some general things – that you might want to know first off, I think it's important to uh, I think it's important to get out and get involved right like you trying to find a a long-term dominant if that's what you're looking for that could be something that that takes a while to find somebody with who who's going to be like a longer term partner but that doesn't mean that you can't get out and start exploring That doesn't mean you can't start you know getting out meeting people going to events trying some things and not just with kink activities but with power exchange right trying it in a scene setting seeing how it feels for you that's all stuff that you can do because it's good to have an idea of what you like right when you're going and you're looking for a long-term partner compatibility is one of those things that's really important to assess and it's it's hard to assess compatibility when you actually don't know what it is that you like or what you're looking for so i think that getting out and Getting some experience, not necessarily, you know, and I'm not talking about being a virgin and I'm not talking about like, you know, like going out and finding a long term dom right off the bat. I'm saying just getting out and trying some things I think would be really helpful for you. You know, something else I feel like we should address while we're talking about this issue is I feel like a lot of guys who are subs and they're looking to approach female dominance do it in like a really weird fashion a lot of times. So I thought you might want to talk about that for a second.
0: Yeah. So there's a lot of ways to do this wrong. And actually, um, I have an article that I wrote that's in Kinkley. It's, it's
1: on Kinkley. Yeah. So we I'll can, link to it in the show notes at a touchoflavor.com forward slash zero six zero. It's called Submissive Dating, How to Attract a Dom.
0: But yeah. But it's
1: Dom with an E.
0: So there's a lot of ways to do this wrong. And for some submissives they get very pressury like you're a dominant so you should dominate me which is weird right like if you're a submissive why are you pushing me to dominate you that doesn't make sense and others can sometimes avoid even having the conversations at all I was like say get, get very
1: dormanty
0: yeah and along with that get to a point where They're not stating their boundaries. They're not being firm in in what they'd like and not like. So basically be a human, right? Like just talk to someone, let them know what you're interested in, what you wouldn't be interested in, and do it in a respectful manner. And that goes a long way versus either being pushy or going into being completely a doormat and not having any standards for yourself.
1: I think the other thing to realize too – we talk about this occasionally in various contexts around power exchange but i think a lot of people when they're first approaching power exchange kind of have this image of like what power exchange looks like on a day-to-day basis right like and we we talked about this before i'm not going to go through the whole one of these episodes we actually went through like a whole A whole rant about this but you know basically i'm going to be a 24 7 slave and every day is going to look like this and all i will do is serve my dominant and life stuff will never come up and and people when they're fantasizing about this stuff really tend to ignore a lot of the day-to-day life things that come up and this is my way of saying that as much as you're may decide that you're looking for a power exchange relationship you're looking for a female dominant the most important skills you're going to have are going to be relationship skills like the ability that you need to carry on a normal, healthy relationship, to stick up for you want what you want, to give to other people, to resolve conflicts, to make sure everybody's feeling fulfilled and getting what they need out of the relationship. At the end of the day, those things are going to be more important to attracting and keeping a long-term romantic partner, regardless of, of whether or not it's power exchange, than just like you know, having, having some good service skills and being a heavy bottom are going to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So here's what I'm going to do, uh, in the show notes again, a touch dot forward slash zero six zero going to link to, uh, Cassie's Kinkley article and the Kinkley article is really more about things that Cassie seen when people approach female dominance and, and kind of how to correct some of those things. But then we have another article called You're Not Alone Finding a Kinky Partner that I currently think is like the top rated search on Google for finding kinky partners and we get a lot of a lot of people reading it and a lot of a uh, lot of really good feedback and a lot of people who find it really helpful. So it's a very comprehensive guide to finding a kinky partner in general and I'll link to that in the show notes as well and I think you'll find that very useful. Our next question is from Veronica. Any tips for getting my partner to understand that when we're out together, I'd like him to not be constantly attached to his phone talking to his other partner?
0: Okay. So some of this is just going to be… Tell him. Tell him, right? You you need to tell your partner when you feel time is not being spent well with you. And this is whether it's someone being on their phone, whether it's how you guys are spending time together… Whenever we're with our partner and we're not enjoying that time, that's a good time to bring it up to our partner and talk about how we can negotiate finding a way that makes the time that we have together valuable for both of us. So maybe it's not that he never uses his phone, but when you guys are out on a date or you're doing something that's supposed to be very interactive time, that the phone goes away but actually having this conversation and seeing how you guys can negotiate that in a way that works for both of you is going to be really helpful.
1: Yeah, and you know, just important thing to remember when having this conversation is first off, I don't feel feel like it's a particularly big ask, number 1. So I think going into it knowing that is not necessarily hurtful for you, but Uh, Just just remember to kind of stay away from – this is where you kind of stay away from blame and and you can put it on yourself. Like, hey, I noticed that when we're hanging out, you're spending a lot of time on your phone. And, you know, I feel like we're not really spending that time together. That doesn't really feel like quality time to me. I would appreciate if you could be on your phone less when we're doing X, Y, and Z.
0: Yeah, and I would actually not even bring up that he's on the phone with his partner. I would bring up that he's on the phone. One, you don't actually know that. You don't know if he is on the phone with his partner or not. It could be an assumption, and regardless of it being an assumption, it probably isn't going to be helpful to bring that into the conversation, especially if this is the first time that you're bringing this up, if this is something that has been going on. You kind of want to make this more about you guys having valuable time together than it's something wrong that he's doing being on his phone. Okay, so Nathan, what's the best way to handle envy when your partner has been spending all of their time and efforts with the other partner who you also date for seven months now? I feel replaced, but I try to be nice and gentle in conversation.
1: So you you talk about handling envy. And the important thing to understand about that is – When you're feeling jealous, sometimes it's feelings that you need to deal with and sometimes there's good reason for it. Now, if you are really not getting any time, uh, that isn't necessarily something that you need to handle your envy on. That's something where your needs aren't getting met and you need to address that.
0: Yeah, that means that there's probably negotiations and agreements and understandings that need to be had. Like you can approach this from the perspective of, I see these things that I'm going to be envious, or I see these things, I recognize that there's things that I need and I can ask my partner for what I need and what I want.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when you're talking about a new partner, NRE can always be a factor, right? And some people get more caught up in that whole bright, shiny phase than others. And it's something that can make you feel jealous, right? Especially, especially, I think that. A lot of times when you're dating the same person, it can make that worse in some ways. It can go either way. Sometimes it's better because you're both caught up in it. But then sometimes like if, if one person's gotten through NRE and the other person hasn't, it could be worse because like then you're seeing both ends of that all the time. But the thing is regardless, and this is the important thing to remember, even if we are talking about NRE here, you know, it's good to be understanding when NRE pops up, but you also can't neglect the needs that you have in your own relationships with people. And it's something that regardless of the reason for it, uh, it needs to be brought up and you need to negotiate some new agreements that make it so that everybody, including you, is feeling happy and feeling fulfilled in this.
0: Yeah. And Nathan, if you and your partners after sitting down have found that your button heads over agreements, you're not able to negotiate things. It seems like it's something where the two of you or the three of you actually can't seem to sort things out in a way where everybody's happy. That might be a good time to like reach out and and get some help and get a hand. And we do our breakthrough calls. It's a a call that we do that are free and we can kind of walk you guys through some of the hurdles that you might be having.
1: Yeah. So it's a touchofflavor.com forward slash call. And I'll put the link in the show notes as well for you.
0: All right. So this questions from – well, these questions are from Lexi. My partner and I are not in any rush, but we're looking to add a guy possibly at some point. We know we should probably wait until we're fully lived together instead of us having separate addresses and knowing our relationship is solid before bringing someone in. But we're just discussing and curious. I wanted to get some answers.
1: So I will just stop there and say I, I don't think that you necessarily have to have any particular living situation to add another partner so I did just want to interject that
0: yeah I think that it's a good idea to establish your relationship a little bit and and know each other well because like, you guys are newly together
1: and I think it's important to not be rocky right you never want to bring somebody into a rocky relationship but I I don't think that there's necessarily any particular Level that you have to let relationship X get to before you can start relationship Z. So I did just want to right offhand, kind of put those out going in.
0: Yeah. So Rigel, how does it feel to have two girlfriends?
1: That's an interesting question. Part of me is not really sure what metric to compare it against because I've been poly for, for almost my whole adult life. I have more than two partners actually as well.
0: I think the question is more what is it like to have two partners that are, like, nesting on a day-to-day basis Surprisingly normal.
1: I think surprisingly normal would be the answer. I think anytime – you have a certain thing and it's whether you're dating one person or you're dating in a group where generally after somebody's been around enough and you're living together especially – It kind of falls into normal. I mean, it doesn't – it's not really 99% of the time a a strange thing for me. It's just pretty typical. So I hope that's an answer to that question. But to me, it just feels normal.
0: So as a guy, how do you deal with being with women and how do you think about it?
1: cannot think of a way to answer this question that does not get me in trouble. (laughs) I think you're putting me in a really rough position here.
0: Hey, it's not me. That's Lexi. Uh,
1: well, that's who I was talking to. I mean, I—I I really, I legitimately can't think of a safe way to answer this question. I will, I will say this: as a, as a very general rule, women and men tend to be kind of different, and it's it's one of those things where there's definitely they're both bell curves, and there's a ton of overlap on the bell curves, and there's definitely women who are more like this than men and definitely men who are more this than women. But as a general rule, men and women are a little different. And all I guess I'll say about this is that I think when you have like multiple partners of the same gender living in a house and somebody who's the other gender, I do think it can kind of highlight sometimes the differences in the way that people tend to think about things like people of different genders tend to think about things. But I think that's really the only answer I can give to that question.
0: So what, like, no, you shouldn't go work out after getting hit by a car because Yes.
1: See, if there yeah. was another man in the house, he would have been like, yes, you got hit by a car going <laughs> to the gym. Sounds like a great idea. <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, I, I, I will say that. I will say I think I think the only way I can answer this question is to say it does highlight the differences I think in in thinking that men and women sometimes have, or males and females sometimes have.
0: So one of the things Rigel has said in the past is that there's way too much common sense in our house now. There is
1: way too much common sense in the house. Yes, I agree.
0: So the other question is, how do you balance having two? Which I think is two relationships.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna answer it, two relationships, because it's the same way whether it's two relationship or two girlfriends. Um, how do you balance having two? I think that's I think a lot of that's really specific to your situation. One thing that I think is important to realize that I think most people don't when they're coming into triads. I think most people coming into triads have this this vision of like you come in and everybody kind of falls in love exactly the same and cares about each other exactly as much and things grow at exactly the same rate. And that's not how things go. Like even even in a group relationship, the relationships still build on a dyad level and different, different people interact differently and different people bond over different things. Different people enjoy spending different amounts of time together. I, I don't think that there's... There's a right way to balance, so much as just, you know, the the kind of guide that we use is is everybody happy? Is everybody healthy? And I think what makes people happy and healthy looks looks very different for every set of people. You know, a couple examples, you know, we like to use of this is like I had a partner who liked to get up and run early in the morning and I would do that with them. And Cassie wasn't for that not shit. Not interested. Cassie wasn't for that shit. Cassie and Amanda really like horror movies. I have no interest in horror movies. So, you know, you kind of, you find the things that you guys like to do together. You figure out what different people like to do separately. And then you see if you can handle all that in a way that that works for everybody.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. And so the next question is, can you talk a little bit about the ups and downs, the good and the bad, from the man in this type of relationship's perspective?
1: So I'm going to talk about it from group relationships in general. What are some good things and bad things about group relationships? Good things are like if you like that whole community kind of thing, um, that's really nice. It definitely, you know, you definitely have more hands to complete different things. You have more people to cuddle with. You have more people to help take care of people when they're sick. You have more people to hang out with and do activities with. And so, you know, that's, that's all good stuff. And I think probably the main thing for me about a group relationship is that you get to spend as much time as possible with all of your partners. So like, you know, as I just said, we don't all have the same hobbies and we don't all enjoy spending time the same way. But whereas, you know, if I had two different relationships, there might be a lot more time that I wasn't spending with, say, you know, I'd be spending time with Amanda not with Cassie. Um, you know, there's a lot more opportunities in a group relationship to spend more of your time with more of your partners. I think that's kind of the main benefit. Uh, what's a little bit of the bad? I think there's, I think there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of compromising. I think that's necessary when you're doing the group thing because again, people don't all have the same interests. For example, things that maybe Cassie and I like to do, maybe Amanda doesn't like to do. So, you know, we have to now balance that in a way of we're in a diet relationship. We wouldn't necessarily have had to balance that. Like we might just have done as much of that thing as we wanted. So I, I think I think the good thing is you get to spend more time with more people. And there's it's very like community-oriented kind of thing. And I think the bad thing about it is that there they're, I think you make more compromises when you're doing group poly than when you're – Dating various people and i'm not sure compromise is the right word because you kind of compromise in Or come to agreements in every type of relationship More compromises on the time end. I think is, is is the way to put it
0: Can you give us a heads up on how to do this right in your opinion? If you were the one coming into a relationship What would your thoughts be? Honestly, would you want to get to know them together or separately or both? So
1: I think the way to do this right, um, and I mean, I could give a lot of ways, but I think the main way is to always remember that people are people. Uh, People are not things. People are not objects. People are not there to fulfill, you know, some fantasy between you and your existing partner or to uh, strengthen your relationship or add some spice to it. Even when it is a one night stand to add spice to things, people are still people and they need to be treated like people. I think that's realizing that is kind of the key to doing things right and as far as if I was coming into a relationship I think I'd be looking for people who realize that and who were willing to take what's good for me and what I need into account when making decisions and not just kind of be like you know, we've been here, we're the existing partner, you're, you know, we, you're stuck with what we give you. As far as getting to know them together separately or both, I think all the above. I just think the main thing is not to bait and switch, not to be like, hey, uh, you know, I, I just want to date you. Oh, but here's my partner. Now kind you of a thing. Date now you're dating both of us. I think you want to date together. I think you, you know, if, if it's, Going to be a group relationship and everybody's happy and it's going that way. And I think that regardless, dyad time is still important. I think the main thing is just to be honest about what you're looking for. We have an episode, I think it is uh, episode 22. It's called How to Add a Third or Fourth Tier Relationship that talks about adding people to an existing relationship. And our partner Amanda is actually on there as well. And we go through a whole series of questions about group relationships on there. So that one and we have another episode with Amanda that I think is 16, um, but I'll link both of those in the show notes at a touch of flavor.com forward slash zero six zero. And I highly suggest that you listen to those.
0: All right, guys, as always, thank you so much for sending in all of your wonderful questions and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1.